Good morning. I will be reading from Mark chapter 7, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, verses 1 to 23 in the New International Version. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with their hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Colin. Well, Christmas is coming. And I'm sure many of us have turned our attention to Christmas shopping and trying to pick out those perfect gifts. Have you ever bought a gift and really thought that it was going to be something that was going to reflect your love and care and admiration of someone and it just didn't go the way you thought it would? Have any of you ever bought a gift like that? A few of us? Uh, I came across a few stories, some, some wives giving their, their testimonies of their husband's worst presents. Uh, one woman wrote, I have a good one for you. The worst gift I've ever gotten from my husband was a razor and shaving cream. 
My husband wasn't very creative that year. Another one said, After having my fourth baby and trying desperately to lose weight, my husband surprised me with a mystery gift that didn't even arrive until after Christmas. It came in a giant crate, and I ripped into it with anticipation, only to find a full-sized, fully-stocked bakery-scale pastry display case, which he proudly explained was because he knew how much I like to make and eat baking. I ended up throwing the entire thing out. It didn't even fit on our counter. (laughs) Another one. My husband, bless his heart, is not the best at gift giving. For our first married Christmas, he gave me a paper shredder and a wind-up flashlight for our emergency kit. Last year, he gave me an ugly hat and a stocking full of chapstick. He's super offended that I never wear the hat. (laughs) This past year, my husband flunked Christmas stocking gifts when I found in my Christmas stocking one of those electric nose hair trimmers. (laughs) Guys, take notes. This is what not to do here. This last one. My husband bought me a beautiful pair of diamond earrings from an online jeweler. I opened them Christmas morning and I was in awe. I put them back in the bag and continued opening gifts. The following day we had a family Christmas party. I went to grab my earrings from under the tree and wear them. I couldn't find them anywhere. He threw away my diamond earrings. My husband thought he was doing me a favor by cleaning up all of the wrapping paper and taking care of it. By the time I noticed them missing, they were on their way to the local dump. I've never received diamond jewelry since that Christmas. (laughs) Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) I feel bad for these husbands. These are guys who, they're wanting to do the right thing. They want to impress their wives. They, they want to be a great spouse. But their good intentions were washed away by their silly mistakes. Can you relate to wanting to do the right thing and that not going well? Can you relate to wanting to be a certain type of person, to be a, a certain type of spouse, a certain type of parent, a certain type of friend, and working hard to achieve that, And it's just not going well. You know, I wish that my failures of being a great husband were limited to something as simple as buying the wrong present. You know, I wish that that was the worst thing that I've ever done as a spouse. But when I think about my life, and even thinking about this past week, in the last seven days, I screwed up as a husband. I dropped the ball. My wife needed me, and I wasn't there. I was insensitive, and I was selfish. And when I think about my marriage, I I see all these instances of, of moments where I was not the type of husband that I wanted to be. In my short 16 months as a father, I can already think of moments with my daughter that I dropped the ball. Where I was not the type of father that I want to be or that I knew I should be. When I think about my life, my journey with Jesus, my, my trying to be a good Christian, my relationship with God. I can see so many moments of, of me dropping the ball. Of me trying really hard to be the type of person that, 
not only that I want to be, but to be the type of person I believe God is calling me to be. And I drop the ball. And I've had moments of recommitment. Moments of dedicating my life again and again. Which all seem to be followed by moments of failure. And if I'm honest, it can be easy to lose hope. But what about you? When you consider the type of spouse you want to be, the type of parent you want to be, the type of friend you might want to be, the type of person you want to be perceived as, when you think of the type of Christian you want to be, how are you at being that type of person that you desire to be? How do you measure up to your own expectations? How do you measure up to your own hopes? If you're anything like me, you probably work really hard to be that type of person. And the world has no shortage of self-help books and other products that try to assist us in becoming the type of people that we want to be. It's easy to grab a book off the shelf, attend a seminar, seek counseling or coaching, and and all of these things are, are good. They aren't bad in and of themselves. But I have yet to discover one that effectively changes me. And like a husband hoping to get that perfect present, I feel like my efforts are like nose hair trimmers in a stocking stuffer. Falling so short of what I know it could be and what I know it should be. And it can be easy to lose hope. Well, our passage this morning takes us to a dinner table conversation where a group of religious leaders were committed to an idea and a system that they believed made them the right kind of people. They believed that their system and their program made them good kind of people, pure people. But during this dinner table conversation, Jesus points out to them that their hope is misplaced. Jesus points out to them that their hope in their system wasn't going to work. Their hope needed to be refocused. refocused. So what can we learn from this story? Well, the Pharisees desired to be certain types of people. And to become the types of people they believed that they needed to be, they had a huge set of rules. And what's important for us to note is that this desire that they had was actually a really good desire. They wanted to be pure before God. And so they looked at God's Word and they studied the Old Testament and they see all these rules that that God has and all these commandments. And they'd look at them and they'd say, okay, these are really good, but you know, this one, I'm not so sure what this might look like. So let's add all these other rules to make sure we don't break this one rule. And this instant that happens in Mark chapter 7 is an example of that. Uh, We know from reading the Old Testament that only the Levitical priests were commanded to wash their hands um, and ceremonially cleanse themselves. And that was only when they were serving in the temple. But the religious leaders of the day were saying, well, if washing the hands for the Levites made them pure and we want to be pure, then we should wash our hands too. And everyone should wash their hands. And so they created this rule so that they could be Certain types of people before God so that they could be pure before God. And so this command that was only given to the priests, they they adopted it and they surpassed the priests in their zeal to safeguard themselves from defilement and considered the priestly regulations 
an obligation to all people. And so when they see Jesus' disciples not washing their hands, they got a problem with that. But then here comes Jesus who points out to them that their rules don't actually work. The rules don't work the way that they think their rules are going to work. And Jesus says to them, he replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding to the traditions of men. So again, the Pharisees desire to be pure. That's a good desire. The problem here is that the standard that they're applying that to is the wrong standard. They want to be pure by their standards, not by God's. And that simply doesn't work. I came across a story recently of a, a runner from, uh, from the States named Mary Kane. And Mary Kane was a, she's a young woman running in, in the States and she was breaking all sorts of records. She was this phenomenal runner. And so she got recruited to Nike's running team. And on that running team, engaging in that running program, things did not work out the way that she thought they would. And one of Nike's philosophies for her was that for her to run faster, she needs to lose weight. And that the the more she can get the weight off, the faster she will run. And so she's engaging in this running program, working so hard to conform to that standard, but it didn't work. Mary, in an interview, shared that her body started breaking down. And though she was trying to run her best, she couldn't. She stopped winning races. Was she meeting a standard? Yeah. But it was the wrong standard. She couldn't run the way that she was meant to run because she was conforming to the wrong set of principles. Friends, the Pharisees can and we can work to conform to a certain set of principles in order to be certain types of people. But if they're the wrong principles, we very simply cannot meet our goal. And this is what Jesus is saying. And Jesus points to an example to make his point. And there's this word in here called Corbin. And basically what's going on here is that someone in their fellowship would say that You know, I have this extra property, I have these assets, I'm going to devote them to God, because that's a very spiritual thing for me to do. And so they declare that devoted to God. It's kind of like deferred giving. So when this individual passed away, um, the the resources would go to to the religious leaders and and furthering the ministry of of what they were up to. Um, And so this was devoted to God. But then what happened was these individuals might realize that they don't have enough resources to care for their parents. But instead of giving back to them the thing they devoted to God, the Pharisees said, no, 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 you declared it Corbin. You can't have it back. And in doing that, they were forcing these individuals into a position where they couldn't care for their parents. And Jesus points back to the Ten Commandments, which is very clear and surpassed the law of the elders, and said, hey guys, you're conforming to the wrong standards. This isn't working. In fact, the law that the religious leaders had created was corrupt. Because it was only benefiting them. So in doing this, Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees that their ritual isn't going to make them pure. 
the ritual isn't going to accomplish what they want it to. Washing their hands isn't going to work for them because the impurity is inside of them, not outside of them. Their hearts were the problem. Their hearts were the problem. Jesus here is saying that if we want to be pure, that's purity's got to start on the inside. It's got to start on the inside. Now, I brought some chocolates this morning because I thought I'd get hungry. Um, but I'm not going to eat them because then I won't be able to talk. But we all like pot of gold. We're going to see these everywhere in the next few, few weeks, right? And uh, you could tell me that, that pot of gold are, are great, they taste good, but you can't tell me that within this specific box that this is pure chocolate. Because if I pull out this here, uh, let's choose one, a vanilla caramel chocolate. Um, is this pure chocolate? No, it's not. Why? Well, if I break it in half, there's caramel in the inside. See that? That's great. I'm going to put that back. And if I grab a pecan caramel cluster, which again is really good, and I break that in half, is that pure chocolate? No, it's not pure chocolate. There's caramel and pecans on the inside. What about this here, vanilla caramel? Did I already do that one? Yep. Anyway, you get what I'm getting at here. That in this pot of gold, you could say that these are pure chocolates, but we're no, we know that none of these are actually pure chocolates because they all have something in them, be it vanilla caramel or almonds or whatever. But if you get this dairy milk, and we open up a dairy milk, I was hoping to find a pot of gold that had a pure chocolate in it, and I didn't, so I had to go get dairy milk. But if I take this dairy milk bar and I break this piece off, what am I going to find on the inside? Pure chocolate. Look, pure chocolate. Everyone see? Pure chocolate. This is what Jesus is getting at. It's like the Pharisees are saying, we are pure chocolate. And Jesus is like, no, you're caramel pecan chocolate. You, you look like chocolate on the outside. But if we get onto the inside of you, there is no chocolate in there. It's caramel. That's different. But Jesus is saying, and he's inviting us to consider this reality. If we want to be pure in heart, Jesus cares about us being pure all the way through. That the inside of us is consistent with what's going on on the outside. And when it comes to chocolate, you need a dairy milk for that. And so what Jesus is getting here is, is something he's been talking about in other places. An example of that is the Sermon on the Mount. And on the Sermon on the Mount, it's very interesting. So the Pharisees are working off this idea from Leviticus where God said to his people, Be holy because I am holy. You need to be pure. You need to be holy. And then Jesus comes along, and so often we look at Jesus and we say, well, you know, you have the Old Testament with all those rules and things, but Jesus, he's just all about grace. And that's true. Jesus is all about grace. But what did Jesus say about the Old Testament? Jesus would say things like, you've heard it said, you shouldn't murder somebody. And everyone's like, yeah, that's a commandment. I shouldn't murder someone. But then he adds to it. He says, but I say to you, if you even think an evil thought against your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Whoa. 
And he said something to them like this too. He said, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. Yeah, yeah, I got that, Jesus. Don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look at another person with lust in your heart and you desire them sexually, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So where we think that Jesus throughout the law, he actually raised the bar. He made it more difficult. Because not murdering someone, I've never had a problem with that. <laughs> not thinking an evil thought. Whoa. Matthew 5.48, Jesus says to his, those who are listening, He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's saying, be pure in heart. It's not enough for you to just do the right things. The attitudes and the postures of your heart also need to be the right thing. So here Jesus is offering, offering correction as well as raising the bar. He's instructing them in how to be truly pure before God. And we pick up in chapter 7 in verse 18. Jesus says, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, then out of his body. And he went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside a man and make a man unclean. Friends, Jesus desires that you and I be certain types of people. God cares about the things that we think about. God cares about the things that we do. Here Jesus touches on 12 different heart issues that defile us. He talks about this whole issue of sin, which is this reality of doing life our way apart from God's way. And Jesus says, do you want to be pure? Well, it's got to go all the way through. Having clean hands isn't enough. You need a pure heart. So God cares about what we think. He cares about what we do. And, and I love this truth. That God joins with us in desiring that we become certain types of people. Because if you're anything like me, you desire to be a better spouse. If you're anything like me, you want to be a better parent. You want to be a better person. Well, guess what? God desires that for you as well. But in our attempts to become certain types of people, in our attempts to become certain types of people, whether that be a good person or a pure person, I think we spend so much time working on the outside. We, we, work, we work on, you know, getting those right gifts. Maybe attending the right classes, performing the right way, reading the right books, taking part in the right programs, having the right counselor, having the right coach. And again, not that these things are bad. But is it possible that what we need to change the most is on the inside of us? Is it possible that me becoming a good spouse might begin with a change taking place in my heart? 
that I become more loving, kind, and considerate? Is it possible that me becoming a better parent might begin with a change in my heart where Jesus works on me in such a way that I am more patient, that I am more joyful, that I am more gentle? Is it possible that that me becoming a better person, a good person, begins with God working in my heart in such a way that His goodness comes out of me, His kindness, His selflessness, that He works in me, that I have a commitment to see peace? Is it possible that me becoming a good Christian might begin with a change taking place in my heart in such a way that that I have a no-compromising commitment to seeing my relationship with Jesus grow. That I well up with genuine love. Well, I do think it's possible. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here in Mark chapter 7, which leads us to this question. So how do I change on the inside? How do we change on the inside? Well, friends, I think the answer is quite simple. We need a new heart. We need a new heart. And this is why Jesus came. This is the hope that we celebrate at Christmas. That God looked down on our situation. And He saw that we were hopeless. He saw that... We had this desire to be good. We had this desire to be pure. We, we had these great intentions. But at the end of the day, that purity didn't run all the way through. And so God sends His Son in the person of Jesus. Recognizing that Jesus is the one who is pure of heart. He is the one who is good. And that He comes and gives us opportunity that as we journey alongside Jesus, His Spirit works in our hearts and changes us that we become more like Him. And as Christians, as we put our faith in Jesus, as we put our hope in Him, we are seen as pure before God because when God looks at us, He doesn't see our impurity. He sees Jesus. The Apostle Paul unpacks this concept throughout the New Testament where he reminds us over and over and over again that we need to be in Christ. You need to be in Christ because when you're in Christ, when God looks at you, He sees His Son. When you're in Christ, God looks at you and He sees His Son. This is illustrated so well for us in Ephesians chapter 2 and Pastor Norb took us here a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating Because Ephesians chapter 2, it starts off talking about the problem with the heart. Where Paul writes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in that impurity in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were We were by nature objects of wrath. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) You're impure. You can't be pure before God. You can't be good enough. You can't become that person you want to be. Sorry. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on. 
But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. And God raised us up with Him. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So because of God's great love. He looked at us and he said. They need a new heart. They need a new heart. And this is talked about in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 31. God says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And recognizing that we're kind of lost in all of this, Paul reminds us in this passage that it's all about his grace. It's not about us washing our hands in the right way. It's not about us performing the right rituals, the right set of things. It's it's about us receiving from God what He has for us. It's His grace. It's a gift. You know, when I was first getting into carpentry, I remember uh, Jelena and I had moved back to Edmonton from Scotland, and, and I was just looking for a job. I had no interest in carpentry, really. Um, and so my parents recommended I talk to a guy from their church. And, and I show up with him and he's like, well, how about you come along with me for a day? So it's kind of an on-the-job interview. And uh, so I'm following him along. And at one point during the day, he says, Adam, can you go out to the truck and get me some drywall? And I look at him and I say, what's drywall? <laughs> I ended up working for him for over a year. Four years later, I, have, I got my ticket in carpentry. But I think about that moment. There's no reason he should have said, work for me. There's no reason I should have gotten the job. I failed that interview. I didn't know what drywall was. Why does he want some kid who doesn't know what drywall is working with him in renovations? It seems foolish. But he took a chance on me. And that chance he took on me ended up changing me. And I ended up becoming a carpenter who understood drywall and uh, a bit of electrical and plumbing and and all these things to the point where I can build a house. But that job in that season was a gift. It wasn't something I deserved. certainly wasn't something I earned. But friends, us becoming the people we want to be Us becoming the people God wants us to be begins with us receiving from Him that gift. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we've earned. But God comes to us in this situation where we're we're lost without Him. And He begins working on our hearts. And change begins to take place. We go on reading here. Paul talks about us being God's handiwork. That God's working on us. He's changing us. He talks about this elsewhere. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there that, that is again, in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, Jesus is working in us, on us, so that we would become more like him. That's our hope. That's what Christmas, that's what we're celebrating here at Christmas. The hope that we have is not found in us doing all the right things. It's found in us coming before Jesus with our hands open and receiving from Him all that He has for us. So what now? What now? Well, first, I think some of us need to reorient our hope. We need to reorient our hope. God desires that we would become certain types of people and He has made a way for us to become who He wants us to be. Jesus' teaching to the Pharisees here in Mark chapter 7 is in no way irrelevant to us. Each of us are guilty of working so hard on the outside, trying to address all these issues, but ignoring what's going on inside of us. We're all guilty of that. So we celebrate right behavior, and we simply hope that our heart will change. But friends, Jesus has more for us. So my question around this idea this morning is what are you hoping in to bring change to your life that may actually be keeping you from the true heart change that Jesus has for you? What are you hoping in to bring change to your life that may be keeping you from Jesus and from the true heart change that He has for you? You know, imagine going to a supermarket and, and wanting to, to get a whole bunch of things and you, you start filling all your arms and you didn't bring a bag, you didn't grab a cart, you didn't grab a basket and you're walking around like this, you got all the stuff and, and you check out and you're walking towards your car, you know, and you walk past that one other thing that you, you knew you needed but you forgot, that you can't pick it up because your arms are full, <laughs> You know, and I think so often in our lives, this is what happens in our lives with Jesus, is we collect all these things going through life, and we, we, got, we got the right books, we got the hobbies, we got all these things, and we're walking along, and we wonder why things aren't working. And Jesus is standing there, and He wants to give us something. But our hands are so full, we can't accept from Him what He has for us. And then we just get frustrated at God. And we say Christianity doesn't work and religion's frustrating. But at the end of the day, have we actually let go of all these other things to receive from Jesus what He has? So that's the first question. What are you holding on to that's keeping you from really hoping in Jesus? The second is to stop striving. Stop striving. Many of us need to hear the gentle voice of Jesus this morning. To stop striving. To rest in Jesus' grace. This gift of heart change is just that. It's a gift. A gifts and gifts need to be received. And lastly, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Many of us need to just pause in this busy season of life and come to Jesus. 
You hear it a lot from the front. We talk about the importance of silence and solitude. The importance of a devotional life. And it's so easy to hear the pastor talk about this and go, yeah, 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 like, I know, I know I need to read my Bible, I know I need to pray. But friends, it's really that simple. Coming before Him. Sitting at Jesus' feet, bringing Him your frustrations with yourself. It's me coming to Him and saying, God, I... I'm not loving my wife the way that you want me to. I'm not becoming the type of spouse that I thought I'd be. And I need to change, but I can't do that on my own. And you bring that to Jesus. It's coming to Jesus as a parent and saying, God, I'm really struggling to parent this kid. I'm frustrated. I'm falling apart. I need your help in this. And as we come to him... Jesus, in His grace, meets with us. We confess our sins to Him. We confess all the ways that we do life apart from Him. And we pray that He would walk with us, that we'd know His presence. As we hear His instruction and His invitation, we allow His Spirit to do a work in our hearts. But friends, do you know this hope? Do you know this hope? When you look at your life, and maybe you aren't the type of person that you want to be, do you know the hope that you have in Jesus? Do you know the love of God that sent His Son for us? saying that we don't have to be lost in this any longer. We don't have to strive any longer. So this Christmas season, come to Jesus, receive His grace, and ask Him to change your heart. And He's going to change your heart. I want to close with this story. Um, Story about a guy named Joe. Now, Joe was a a drunk, miraculously converted in a street outreach mission. And before his conversion, he'd gained a reputation as being a dirty wino from whom there was no hope. But following his conversion to Christ, everything changed. Joe became the most caring person at the mission. He spent his days there doing whatever needed to be done. There was never anything he was not asked to do that he considered beneath him. Whether he was cleaning up vomit left by a sick alcoholic or scrubbing toilets after men left them filthy, Joe did it all with a heart of gratitude. He could be counted on to feed any man who wandered off in the streets, undress and tuck him into bed when he was too out of it to take care of himself. So Joe experienced this amazing life change. He was becoming the person God desired him to be. And one evening after the mission director delivered his evangelistic message to the crowd, a bunch of men um, were sitting there with drooped heads listening. And one of them looked up and came down to the altar. And he kneeled to pray, crying out to God to help him change. The repentant drunk kept shouting, Oh God, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. 
And the director leaned over to him and said, Son, wouldn't it be better if you prayed, make me like Jesus? And after thinking about it for a few moments, the man looked up with an inquisitive expression and asked, Is Jesus anything like Joe? Friends, Jesus wants to make us to be more like him. That the world will see in us Jesus, his attributes, his character. But we need Jesus to work in our hearts if that will ever be a reality. So let us not forget the hope we have in Jesus for be, to become the people he desires us to be this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Invite the worship team forward. Father God, we praise you. God, we thank you that you are able to do a work in us that we can only imagine. God, we thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. But you come to us in grace. You come to us in love and mercy. And Lord, as we sang that song, Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Lord, help us not to miss the power and significance of those words this Christmas season. That we so desperately need you. And Lord, when we think of areas in our lives where we know we're falling short, I pray that our prayer would be, Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Lord, when we are facing circumstances that just seem so beyond something we can bear, I ask that our prayer would be, Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Lord, that as we see boxes of chocolates laying around the house this Christmas, may we be reminded that You desire purity in our lives. A purity that runs all the way through. And for that, Jesus, we say we need you. We need you. We need you. That's our confession. That's our prayer. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.